imitation. There's a type of imitation uh, that is mockery. You've seen it all before. Uh, Maybe a comedian who is doing an impression, typically of like a political person, and they will dress up like them, they will copy their mannerisms, they will kind of copy the way that they talk and the way that they move, and the point is to make a mockery. The point is to poke fun. The point is uh, to have a laugh. Uh, We also see this type of imitation maybe among siblings, where you have one sibling start copying exactly what the other sibling is doing. And the point of this is for annoyance, right? Uh, Eventually it gets to the point where someone says, stop copying me. And then there's the stop copying me, right? This is a type of imitation for a laugh, for annoyance, for mockery. Um, It is not a sincere imitation. It's for annoyance. Uh, There's a common phrase that you hear every once in a while. The phrase is this. Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. So imitation isn't always sincere, uh, but when someone looks at another person's life and uh, wants to be like them, that's a pretty good compliment. Uh, When someone looks at another person's life and says, wow, you know, that, that's the kind of character that I want to have. That's the kind of life that I want to live. The character of Christ that's displayed in them, that's, I want to be like that. Um, th- this is a, a huge compliment. Uh, and, and we're, we're people who are influenced by others. Um, and we, when we look up to somebody... We see them as a role model. You see them as an example. There's then a movement to live like they do. Imitation. When it is sincere, it shows a high value to the kind of person, the kind of life that this person is living. In imitation, it plays a, a large role in, in life, uh, even in ways that we don't necessarily think about. And so if you have kids, you, you've probably seen this in the way that your kids imitate you for better and for worse. Um, and we see this in silly and trivial things. Uh, your children pick up the way that you, you talk, your vocabulary, uh, the way that you interact with others, the way that you move, the way that you look around. They're watching and learning how life is to be lived by observing you. It's, that's a big responsibility. Uh, they're learning how marriage looks by watching your marriage. Uh, They're learning how you treat each other. And this can be daunting as as a parent uh, because there's things that you hope that your children pick up on and there's things that you hope they don't pick up on. Um, Imitation. Uh, So not only do you imitate others, but you also have influence over others. There, There will be people who imitate you. And this morning, we're going to see a call to imitation. And so there's, there's three questions we're going to consider in light of this. Who is it that you are going to imitate? Who is it you're going to imitate? 
Are you someone who should be imitated? What does godly imitation look like? So if you haven't already, turn to Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to read the whole chapter, Philippians 3, but we're going to focus in this morning on verses 17 and actually until chapter 4, verse 1. So let's read Philippians 3. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with a mind set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Lord, again, we're grateful to come together um, to hear from your word, uh, to be convicted by it, uh, to be encouraged by it. Lord, I ask that you would uh, help us to be people who imitate you. Amen. Okay, so look at verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So we have this question. 
Who is it that you are going to imitate? Paul says, join in imitating me. That's a bold statement. Paul says this in other places as well, uh, like in his letters to the the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 4.16, we read, he says, I urge you then, be imitators of me. And in 1 Corinthians 11.1, we read, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. If we were to read these verses out of context, it would look like Paul is a pretty boastful proud uh, man trying to make a following for himself. What kind of ego does someone need to have to repeatedly tell someone to imitate me, right? Uh, but this is, this is not the case. Uh, early in verse 12 of chapter 3 of Philippians, he, he clearly states that he does not believe that he's already obtained perfection. Um, he does not believe that he's made it, but even so, he presses on. Paul is urging the Philippian church to follow after Christ. Back in chapter 2, he described the character of Christ and even commended Timothy as someone who does not seek after his own interests, but after the interests of Christ. So Paul's desire in his life to be an imitator of Jesus, and as he is imitating Christ, then the churches imitate him. So this is, this is the mature mindset the church is to have pressing on to make it their own because Christ Jesus has made them his own. There's many blessings of the church. And one of them is that God, who who began a good work in those who are his and is completing that work, is making people like himself. And so because of God's work in the church of making people like himself— It's possible, then, to have people in the church who are actually imitating and living like Christ as they have grown in maturity. So we may not do this perfectly, but there can be Christ-likeness. And then we encourage each other and spur one another on in that Christ-likeness. So each of us has a call on our life to be imitators of Christ, Paul tells the Ephesians in Ephesians 5.1, he says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And so just as in a healthy home, the children will look to their parents and imitate them, so we are to be imitators of God as his children. We are to look to God, look to his character, learn from him, and We are to grow up into the character of Christ that we would reflect him and be faithful in the calling that he has has given to us. And so you are to be an imitator of Christ. One of the ways we are to be growing in our imitation of Christ is by keeping our eyes on, as Paul says, those who walk according to the example you have in us. So here's another reason why Paul is not on an ego trip here as he is telling people to imitate him. So Paul isn't just saying to imitate him, but also to look at others who are walking according to how uh, they've been taught. So it's it's a good thing to see Christ-likeness in others in the church and then to imitate that. There are people to learn from and to follow. We are people who 
follow examples before us. It's, it's built in us. So the, a question here, do you have godly people in, in your life that you look up to and desire to follow? I would encourage you, if you don't have a, a mentor, to find that person who you look up to because of their godliness and watch their life. Get to know them. Pursue after them. Ask them questions. Learn from them. What is their relationship with the Lord like? How does their relationship with Jesus affect the, affect the way they think? How does it affect the way they speak? How do they handle conflict in a godly way? How do they f- handle family and relationships? Work situations? Get to know them. This is part of the one another ministry of the church. Look for that person who you can look up to and be encouraged by. This can be people in the church. You can also have people that you read, church fathers of old, that can be somewhat of a mentor as you read about their life and the way that they think and the way that they pray. Having a mentor in my life was one of the things that's been most influential in my Christian life. Uh, Someone that I could ask questions to, be encouraged by, um, sometimes just hang out with uh, and be around. Someone who inspired me in their love for God, um, their love for the Word. Um, But being discipled by someone, it, it only comes if you want it. And there's always a reason to say no to personal discipline. Um, And this is why Paul says to, he says, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. The key word there being keep. Keeping our eyes fixed on the correct people is part of the discipline. Where is it that your eyes land? That is part of the discipline. Hebrews 12 reminds us to keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And all throughout your life, there will be many people, many things, who desire to disciple you and gather your attention. Desire to have an influential presence in your life. Desire that you would fix your eyes upon them. They want to shape the way you think, the way that you act, the way that you live. They want to disciple you. Uh, They might not directly state it that way, but that is the reality. Um, They want you to think and live a certain way. A lot of times it's because they want you to buy their product. Uh, This is basically every advertisement that you'll see. Um, They'll hold some sort of ideal life that's appealing before you, And then say, if you have this, then you can have a life like that, uh, with satisfaction and true happiness. If you look this way, have this material thing, uh, then you can be fulfilled. But that's not true. And Christianity is, is not another gimmick to sell and make a profit from, or even promise a, a happy life. In this moment, as Paul is telling the church to imitate him, You remember where he is? He's in prison. Paul, if if I imitate you, 
Am I going to end up in prison? <laughs> Maybe yes. Uh, our, our purpose in life is to glorify God. In, in salvation, we have hope of eternity with Christ, which will be a, a glorious time, but we're not necessarily promised that in the here and now. Um, instead, we're actually promised suffering as we follow after Jesus. Uh, the world hated Jesus, so it would make sense that the world then hates those who follow him. But take heart. Jesus has overcome the world. So even though we may face trials of varying kinds, we have a sure and steady hope of eternity with Christ. And so keep your eyes fixed upon Jesus. And part of the way that you'll keep your eyes fixed upon Jesus is by surrounding yourself with other people who have fixed their eyes on Jesus as well. And you will influence each other in godliness. This is what Paul tells us in, in Titus, Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. He says, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and, and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. So you have the older men being an example to the younger men, and you have the older women being an example to the younger women, and there's, so there's two people involved here, right? There's the person who is uh, sort of being a mentor, a person who's teaching, the person who's being taught, the mentee. And all of us, in, in some capacity, fit into both of those uh, roles, both of those categories. You have people who you have influence over in your life, and there are people who influence you. Um, so then this gets to the second question. Are you someone who should be imitated? Uh, are you following after Christ? What kind of person are you going to be? Are you, are you going to be someone who, in your pursuit of godliness, desire to imitate Christ and uh, therefore are then imitating others as they imitate Christ? Or are you going to be someone who fixes your eyes on the th things of the earth and imitate the world around you? Paul provides the church with a warning in verse 18. He says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. We've seen this before as we've studied through Philippians, but we see the emotion of, of Paul. Paul is moved to tears over the enemies of, of the cross of Christ. He sees people living in opposition to the will of God, and this, is, this brings tears to his eyes. He loves Jesus, is thankful for what Jesus has done, and is grieved to see people walking in rebellion to Jesus. A proper response to seeing sin in, in our own life and in the world around us is, is tears, a, a godly grief, a godly grief over sin. We don't know exactly who these people are, but we know that there are many, and that Paul had often told the church about them. So notice that again, how he says often. He's often told the church about them. We need to be 
reminded repeatedly over and over again, often to keep our eyes fixed on Christ, not to be drawn into the way of the world around us, the way that the world lives. And so look to the examples of of people who are walking in accordance with the Spirit rather than walking towards enemies of the cross of Christ. We face temptation daily, and so we must be disciplined daily. And how is it, then, that these enemies of the cross are living? What exactly does their life look like? Well, Paul gives us a few descriptions, um, and he begins by first telling us the destination to where these people are headed. In verse 19, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. So their ultimate end is destruction. The destination we're headed to ends up defining the way that we live our life. And the destination of the enemies of Christ is destruction, hell. Living in a way that is not in accordance with the word of God is the definition of destructive living. When the author of life, God, uh, tells us how life is to be lived, and he knows how life is to be properly lived because he created it, and we reject that and say, no, I'm going to do the opposite of that. Don't be surprised when that leads to destruction and death. The rejection of the author of life is to embrace death itself. They are headed towards destruction, and so they walk in a destructive way. Their end defines their life. Paul gives us more detail of exactly what this destructive living looks like, and he, so he provides three examples of this destructive living. And so the first is, these people have a false god of self. A false god of self. What I read in the ESV is that their god is their belly. Um, the, the, the word used for belly here, it's also used in uh, the New Testament to speak of the stomach or the womb, uh, even appetites. In, in John 7, 38, uh, the ESV interprets, it, interprets this word to say, innermost being. Um, this is to say that their God is, is themselves. Uh, over the years, uh, there's been some debates about who these people are that Paul is talking about, and I'm going to offer two suggestions, uh, but either way, we see them leading to the same conclusion. So it's possible that Paul is referring to the, the Judaizers who he had talked about earlier in chapter 3. Right? The Judaizers were trying to impose the law onto the Gentile Christians, uh, specifically speaking about circumcision. And this is a big part of what uh, Paul was talking about at the beginning of the chapter, uh, where he says in verse 2, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, who look, out for the, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. So that mutilating of the flesh is referring to circumcision. So placing any type of assurance in our ability to keep the law is foolish because nobody can keep the law. Um, so th- this is the point of the law, is that it, it shows us that we're unable to keep it. Um, 
And so with the mentality of the, the Judaizers, there becomes a, a fixation upon keeping the law in order to gain righteousness from that. But that is not the righteousness we need. We need to be found in Christ. As Paul says at the end of verse 8, For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found to him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So the other possibility, um, other than people who are trusting in their own righteousness for salvation, would be people who allow their own desires and their own passions to consume them and to control their life. Um, A theological word that goes with this would be antinomian, or a lawlessness. I think that this is, for me, more convincing, uh, this stance, as Paul has then already warned about the legalism of the Judaizers, and now would be giving another kind of warning from a different end of the spectrum, a, a warning against lawlessness. This other way of living would be to give no credence at all to the law, but to live completely based upon what you want or what you desire. Um, This person's God would be then their belly, right? Their their appetites. Uh, Indulgence in physical pleasure and comfort. Uh, Paul uses this same word in in Romans uh, 16. Uh, So starting in verse 17, he says, uh, Romans chapter 16 Starting in verse 17, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve the Lord Christ, but their own appetites. That word appetites there, that's the same word, the belly. But their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. We find ourselves in a world, in a culture, where the God of the belly reigns, uh, supreme over the life of man. Physical desire rules and and reigns. Uh, Instead of living with self-control, the the appetites and desires of life are in control. Uh, People have made themselves into their own God. So then they try to uh, define uh, who they are based upon how they feel rather than who God has made them to be. They define what is good and evil based upon their own feelings, as opposed to based upon what God has said is good and evil. Uh, Personal feelings have become the the gold standard of morality. And so whether the people here are the Judaizers or the antinomians, the, the people who are living lawlessly, what we see is the danger of fixing our eyes on anything other than Christ. When someone trusts in their own righteousness for salvation, their own ability to keep the law, they are an enemy of the cross of Christ. And when someone fixes their eyes on their own personal pleasures, they are also an enemy of the cross of Christ. And this this leads us to the second way that they live then. So the second way is that they glory in their shame. They find glory in their shame. What does it mean that they glory in their shame? They're boasting about things that should be bringing them to shame. And this works whether you go with the route of the legalists or uh, the route of the lawless. 
boasting and thinking they were keeping the law, uh, boasting in self-righteousness, boasting about circumcision. Think about how silly it would be to say, yeah, I was circumcised on the eighth day, right? That's, really? (laughs) Uh, Paul actually said that a few verses ago. He's counting it as rubbish. Uh, It's foolish. You think that, you really think that that's what's going to give you righteousness before God? It's shameful. It's shameful to look at yourself and your perceived law-keeping and glory in your own effort. No, we, we need the righteousness of Christ. When you look at your life, don't find glory in your own godliness. Instead, give thanks to God for the work he has done in your life. It is God who gives you the desire to will and work according to his purpose anyway. In, in thankfulness, give credit where credit's due. To God, if you were to boast of anything at all, boast in the cross of Christ. Glory in Christ, not yourself. And those who live in lawlessness also are, are finding glory in their own shame, like the legalist. This is what is currently, again, popular in getting all the media attention in our, in our culture, specifically when it comes to identity and, and sexuality. The world is finding glory in their own shame. Sexual immorality is shameful. It is not to be celebrated in, in any way. It shouldn't be paraded in, in public and applauded and cheered on. Uh, men cannot become women, no matter how hard you try. You can't change that. And yet, there are those who try and are uh, applauded and and held up as, and and get this, held up as role models, right? Those who people should fix their eyes upon. They're held up as examples. No wonder we see so many people falling into uh, sexual sin and expressing it openly. They're imitating what has been set before them by the world. It's imitation. This is exactly why Paul tells us to keep our eyes fixed upon those who walk according to what they've been taught, who walk according to the truth, because people imitate others that they look up to. There's a major problem with the the transgender and the sexual immorality issues in our culture has to do with with this issue of imitation. It's a rejection of God. It's a, a making a God of self and then the imitation of others as, as others have made themselves their God. And what do we see from that? We're seeing destruction. Destruction of their bodies. Uh, destruction of their life. Uh, destruction of their soul as they're walking towards their end. Um, keep your eyes fixed upon Jesus, and surround yourself with people who are keeping their eyes fixed upon Jesus. The third thing Paul says about them is that they fixed their minds on earthly things. They fixed their minds on earthly things. So when your God is your belly, when you glory in that shame, then your life is consumed by material things. That's what the things of the earth represent. There are no heavenly treasures being stored up in their life, but earthly treasures. 
the things, uh, the thing about earthly things is that they uh, get old, they break, uh, the moth and rust destroy, the, the things of the world fade away, uh, the shine of that new toy, uh, that new thing, it, it always fades in time. And because of this, there, there's always a longing for, for more, what, what the next thing is. There's always a new smartphone next year. Uh, and man, that, that one's got three lenses on it instead of two. Cool. What's, what's the improvement going to be this year? But things immediately get, bold, get old as soon as you buy it. Time moves forward. Um, we haven't reached the end. And the pursuit of earthly things is, is futile as there's always something new. <laughs> and uh, you can't take anything with you when you die. Uh, you will stand naked and transparent before the Lord. Your own personal righteousness, the, the wealth that you have accumulated, anything that you're proud of, uh, and in your character, how generous, generous you were, um, those things will not make you righteous before God. Um, all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. And so then what is the answer? Um, repent and believe in Jesus. This is, this is the answer. Salvation is in Christ alone. Um, and I, I, I can't know uh, your heart I can tell you the gospel, though, that Jesus received the wrath of God that sinners like you and me deserved, and he defeated death. And so repent and believe. Turn from your sin. Turn from destruction and turn towards Christ. For those of us who have received Christ already, we still face temptation. The world can still pull at our flesh how is it that we combat those temptations? What is it that godly imitation looks like? Look at verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. The way we combat temptations in life is to remember who Christ has made us to be and to trust in better promises. So remember who Christ has made us to be and to trust in better promises. And so for those of you who have repented and believed in Jesus, our citizenship is in heaven. This is our end. Our end is heaven. We are not headed towards destruction we're headed towards Christ. We're headed towards life. And the way that we are headed then defines the way that we are to live. It defines the direction of our life. When, when Paul pleads with the church to join in imitating him, what he's calling the church to do is to rest in the righteousness of Christ, to press on even as we rest in the work of Christ. So we're not to fall captive to the heretical theology of the Judaizers who want to add works to belief or any other philosophy that provides some sort of confidence based upon yourself. Our confidence in salvation must be based upon Christ and his work alone, not yours. 
And we are not to use God's grace as an excuse to live lawlessly. Instead, the grace of God is to motivate us out of love to live obediently, to be holy even as he is holy, as we rest in the work of Christ. And this is then to trust in the true God. And so rather than making a God of self, making ourselves be our own God, where our, where our own appetites, our own desires, our own passions are what control us, we, we look to Christ. Our, our worship in life is to be shaped by, by God's desires, not our own. And as we grow in conformity to Christ, our desires are shaped more and more to look like the desires of God. And this is what God wills for his children, that they would be conformed more and more into the image and likeness of Christ. And so then, rather than glorying in our shame, we find glory in Christ. Uh, he has promised that he will return, and so we wait patiently. It says, and from it we wait a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. This is true glory being made like Christ. That is true glory. Not the applause or approval of man. Not the praise of man. Not the pats on the back. But being made into the image and likeness of Christ. That is truly glorious. And this is the promise that every Christian can look forward to. And it's better than any promise that the world can offer you. So fix your eyes on the promises of God. And lastly here, chapter 4, verse 1 says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. When the world offers a definition of truth based upon their desires, stand firm in the truth of the gospel. When the world offers all kinds of promises, Stand firm in the promises of God. Stand firm in your fight against the sin in your life. Stand firm against the temptations of the age. Stand firm against the teachings of the world. And stand firm as you wait for the coming of Christ. We have this blessed hope. An assurance that God, that Jesus Christ is coming again. So let's, let's imitate Christ with our life as we rest upon the work of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that we are people who have not imitated you. We've, we've acted in rebellion of you. And we thank you that even in the midst of that, in our sin and our active rebellion that leads towards destruction, that you and your grace and your love and your mercy decided to make a way for sinners like us to be then made righteous and holy, that instead of our end being destruction, that our end would be glory, um, that our end would be eternal life with you. So Lord, we, we, we thank you uh, for this tremendous blessing of of the truth of the gospel. And I ask that as, as we are living life now, that you would provide us with strength to fight against temptation, strength to fight 
against the, uh, the spirit of the age, that we would not succumb to the temptations of the world, but instead would stand firm in, in the imitation of Christ. Lord, help us to be faithful imitators of you. Amen.